0: You can find them at megavoice.com or you'll find a link in the show notes and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. What if there was a way to invest in bringing Muslims to Christ globally? That's just one of the things we're going to talk about. This is The Engaging Missions Show, episode 172, with Mark Brink of Global Initiative. Welcome to The Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for joining us and for subscribing to The Engaging Missions Show. We want to see the body of Christ fully engaged in God's mission on the earth. This week, we're going to be talking about the journey from farm to missions, about partnerships throughout the body of Christ, raising funds. I'm going to share a little bit of feedback with you. I also have an opportunity for you to get involved. This is something that I've been talking about for a while, and the wait is just about over. After the interview, I'm going to have some more information for you. I do want to say welcome to Richard. He recently liked our Facebook page. You can also do that by visiting facebook.com slash engagingmissions. And now on to the feedback. I received this through the iTunes store. It's from Paga NC. He writes, Every episode is intriguing. The Thanksgiving episode was both heartwarming and challenging. Thank you for sharing. God bless you, your interviewees and your listeners. Now, I do want to mention that I happen to know that this is from my dad. And you might be thinking, well, why would you share that? Of course, your dad's going to love your stuff. My dad has always been a huge encouragement in my life. Both of my parents have always been very encouraging. They've Uh, provided lots of opportunities and they've provided this kind of encouragement and I appreciate him leaving that feedback. Maybe as you think about the, uh, the new year, there's an opportunity for you to pour into the lives of perhaps your children or some of the people around you to encourage them. So I offer that to you. I also want to say thanks for leaving that feedback. So dad, if you're listening, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Show notes for this week's episode are going to be at engagingmissions.com slash Mark Brink. That's where you're going to find links, quotes, resources to help you engage as well as ways to connect. And with that, we're going to head right into our interview. All right, this is very special for me. I'm sitting in Atlanta, Georgia with missionary Mark Brink. We've spent a couple of days hearing about what he has going on with some of the ministry, and I'm really happy to be able to bring him to you. In terms of an introduction, I'm not going to share a whole lot, except that he spent a few years overseas, and he's now leading a ministry with the Assemblies of God where they're providing resources and training for people in hard-to-reach places sometimes to Im- impact the Muslim culture. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian, it's great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. It's a privilege to be here in Atlanta with you. Oh, man, this, is, this has been so so great for me. And I guess I should say, for those of you listening, over the next few weeks, I do hope to share a little bit more about what's going on and some of the things that I'm hoping that we can do as, as a group to provide some of these resources. But as we get to know you, Mark, I've shared a little bit about your history, but would you mind sharing a little bit about kind of what brought you to this place? Sure. Well, we were youth pastors and associate pastors
1: in South Florida, for seven years in West Palm Beach, and during that time, a missionary walked up to me and gave me a piece of literature. It's called the Interseed. It's a part of the ministry that I presently direct now, and it basically is a is a bi monthly little magazine that tells something about Islam, so that Christians can learn about Muslim culture and the religion of Islam. And then at the end, it has prayer requests. And this person handed it to me and he said, you really need to pray for Muslims. Well, this was the farthest (laughs) thing from my mind, thinking about Muslims. And so I just kind of set it on my desk, went about ministry for many years. And I would look at it once in a while and pick it up. And then God just started bringing Muslims into our path. My wife was a nurse at that time, and she started meeting Muslims at work, in the hospital setting. Started meeting them in a local coffee shop, and in the grocery store, and just interaction throughout life. And I was kind of like, okay, Lord, what are you What are you saying here? You're saying something deeper. And so I started picking up that magazine, looking at it, and I get more copies of the magazine. And God just started doing things in my heart. And finally, I, I knew that the Lord was calling us to Muslim people. And then finally, learn through the Assembly of God the opportunities that are out there to serve God in, in Muslim cultures. And finally, the door opened for us to go to Pakistan. Okay. And so we spent eight years there ministering through a ministry called Teen Challenge.
0: Okay. So as I'm thinking back, you know, you, you mentioned that this had sat on your desk for for several years before it really started to take root in your life. And I also know that you grew up on a farm. Did, had you ever in expected? In, in your wildest dreams to end up a missionary in a closed country or a creative actor? Never. Act.
1: Okay. It was the farthest thing. I always I pray to God and, and joke around a little bit with the Lord. And I say, <laughs> Lord, somebody missed your call because you had to send me, because I'm the most unlikely person, a farm boy from South Dakota. You know, I never met anyone that had different skin or different, mm-hmm. looked different than me until I was 18 years old and went away to the university. I mean, I just kind of joke around and think, God, you know, thank you. Thank you for allowing me this privilege, but maybe there's somebody better qualified than me. And it's it's
0: exciting when you trust God to see where he will take you. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's good. Normally I would have a follow-up question, but I'm just kind of processing everything that you've shared. As you think about the time that, you know, that, that was sitting on your desk and as God started to move your heart toward missions, was there a pivotal moment where, where stuff really started to shift and you really went, okay, Now I know that God has called me.
1: Well, all the way back when I went to the university, when I was 18 years old, I really wasn't following the Lord intensely. I I guess you'd have to say I was like almost like a nominal Christian. I mean, I grew up in church. I knew the gospel. But it was during that time that I got around a group of charismatic young people, and the Lord really worked in my heart, and he called me into the ministry. Now, at that time... I don't know exactly what I would call it. I would guess I'd call it a vision. Okay. But when the Lord was working in my heart, I had this vision of people that looked so different for me. And I saw men with head coverings on. Now I realize that oh, those are wow. Muslim peoples. I didn't realize that at the time I knew nothing about Muslims. I knew nothing about other religions, Buddhists, Hindus, all these things. So God was preparing the steps. I didn't see the whole picture but then during that time when we were pastoring, I think it was more through the burden of prayer, Brian. Okay. I think that's sometimes how the Lord leads us. He starts to bring people into our lives and putting things into our minds. We get information on things. But then it's in those prayer times where he really starts birthing. Yeah, this is, Lord, you are leading me down this path. And I think it was during those times of prayer when I started praying the Juma prayer. I started praying for those individual right. needs in the Muslim world that God started to confirm it. Yeah, he is doing something.
0: Wow, that doing is doing something. That is so deep. You know, for those of you who are listening, we we often think about the time of Ramadan and you know people Muslims seeing visions of a man in white or something like that and coming to Christ. But you know, as believers, God can speak to us through those visions and dreams too. And my question to you would be, is there some recurring vision or dream or some recurring prayer that's working in your life where maybe God's trying to talk to you? I don't have the answer for you. That's just one of the, th- the things that I'm getting out of this. Now, Mark, as, as we think about approaching ministry in a completely different culture, that comes with a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges. There's a lot to learn. Can you share with us some of the things that you sort of had to, to work through as you were beginning to minister in Pakistan? Let me make one more comment yeah. about that before
1: we move on. It was during that time in that church where God put upon my heart a specific people group. And I still pray for that people group. And at that time, I, I started researching Pakistan. I knew that God was leading us that way. So I found a people group there that I've been praying for for many years. Wow, this was well the way back in wow, 91. Okay.
0: 1991.
1: I've been praying for that people group. And it's interesting through our ministry, when we've gone in and we've done training in that country, I've got to meet people and train people that are going to that people group now. Wow. And I actually got, got to meet someone that came out of Islam from that people group that they are now ministering and reaching people. So it's like, God, you know what you're doing, <laughs> you know what you're doing. And I, I need to listen to that voice of the Holy spirit and not question it and and just pursue it. So some of the challenges, I guess, you know, going to a Muslim country, I think I won't speak for my wife, but I'll share a few thoughts on that vein. She probably had to go through a lot of cultural adjustment as a Western woman. Yeah. Going into a, a pretty strict Islamic culture such as Pakistan, you know, covering of, of her head. Yeah. Just the role of women in an Islamic culture and the freedom that they have in the Western world compared to going into a Muslim culture. And some of those things can be difficult if we're not willing to see the bigger cause of why we are laying aside some of our rights and becoming like them so that we can reach, reach them. And we have to do some of that when we enter into Muslim culture. We have to leave behind some of our, I guess, Western culture or baggage in order to enter in. But some of it is so enriching, Brian. Yeah. I mean, I've, I come to enjoy some of these cultures around the world. We are so individualistic in, in American culture. You go to these other cultures and you just see how much it's built upon community. Wow. Yeah. And you just, when you, when you make a friend there, uh, hospitality is just incredible in, in Pakistan also. And it's all based upon that communal concept that they have. Yeah, been invited into home so many times by strangers that didn't know me, but the hospitality coming in and uh, enjoying that, yeah. not looking at not looking at all the differences, but looking, hey, wow, this is enriching me by coming into this and in culture.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that, and you shared a little bit about enriching. And I'm wondering, you know, as, as setting the, the religious differences aside right now, is there something that we as Americans or North Americans could learn from the culture in the Middle East that would make us better? I would I would say definitely
1: number one, I already mentioned the hospitality. You know, I can think when I was younger, man, we would have people in our homes a lot. And maybe we maybe we'd still do some of that in American culture. I don't want to say I don't want to stereotype what we do, but we are very individualistic. Yeah. In our personal space where they are very open. I I learned very quickly. I would go into a home and I would say, Well, that's a nice little uh vase over there on your table or No, that's a (laughs) nice picture. And at the end of the night, they'd given me a gift at the end of the night. And it was that thing that I said looked very nice. It's almost like they, they, re, they re-honor you so much when you come into their home that even when you mention something like that, mm-hmm. they will give you a gift. There's always a gift when you leave. So we learned right away we need to reciprocate. When we come in, we bring in a gift. Okay. You know, we don't tend to do that in American culture.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, when I show up to a friend's house, I figure that my presence is the gift, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Th- that's not how it is there. You no. come with something. You know, wow. and then another, I'll just, some comical things
1: also. Uh, let's say, for example, it's your birthday. Okay. You know, and, and this would go for in the Christian community and in the Muslim community there in Pakistan. It's your birthday and you go to your office you're the one that brings the cake and the get, and Uh-oh. and the treats in okay. not other people providing it for you so there's some interesting dynamics but it's very enriching yeah we have to be willing to lay aside what we think is wrong and right about cultural things and enter into their culture now if there's something uh, of course ethically or biblically wrong right. with it yes of course we wouldn't accept that but there's some things that are neutral that we can we can enjoy and it's just different than our culture, but we have to be willing to,
0: yeah. to enter into that. I thought I was going to head a different direction, but you you just really keyed something off in my head because sometimes there's this real tension between cultural norms and true scriptural morality and you know living out the gospel. How do you walk in that tension when you walk into a new culture and you have to reexamine potentially everything and go, okay, this is okay, this is not okay, this would offend them, but I'm sorry, I've just got to walk. Like, how do, how do you begin to walk that
1: out? Definitely, you need to make sure that you have a strong basis for all of these decisions that you're going to make. Yeah. That we're just talking about. The Bible is your base. Right. We need to make sure that we're not willing to in, bring things into our family or into our, I guess, learning these new cultures that wouldn't be biblical. I'll give you an example in Pakistan. The, the place of women. Okay. Especially in the Islamic community, the place that women have. You know, the view of Islam towards women, basically, is that they are possession of their husband. And that's sometimes how they are valued in that way. Okay. And, you know, the Bible, that is not a biblical value. Right. No. I mean, husband and wife, we are made one flesh. We value our wife as much as we would value our own life. Yeah. And that's the picture of Christ and our relationship with him. It's that biblical, it's that image. Okay. Of God and us, that's the way a marriage is supposed to be. And the yeah. way a husband would treat his wife, Yeah, that is not there in Muslim culture. And we have to be so careful that we don't allow some of those things into our marriage relationships or into our view of, um, of women and men. Right. So there are things that we can bring in, but we just need to be careful about that, that the Bible is our, is our rule.
0: Right. And then when you start approaching that from a discipleship standpoint, when you've got someone who's now a believer but has a background in a different culture, how do you begin mentoring them, and discipling them into that, knowing that they're not going to start from a, a clean slate? They've got some stuff to unlearn, and they're going to have to walk this out. How do you walk that with well, them? Well, many times we take so for granted
1: what we, we've grown up in. We've yeah. grown up in a Christian tradition all of our lives, and some of the things are just so... Automatic to us, we really have to start way from the beginning. It sounds, it sounds kind of weird, but we tend to in Western culture when we start discipling, mm-hmm. we start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Right, and those are good. The Gospels yeah. are a good places to start. But with Muslims, many times you have to go all the way back to start with Genesis. Right, because if you don't get Genesis right, for example, Muslims do not accept that man is made in the image of God. Right. Well, that's a huge difference in how you would relate in husband and wife relationships, in our relationship with God, how God communicates to us and we communicate with Him. We're we're made in the image of God so that we can communicate with God. Well, Muslims do not believe that. Yeah. They believe that the relationship is like the relationship between a master and a slave, where we see it as the relationship between a parent and a child. Right. Our God. Yes, he is master and lord. But he also wants to interact with us on a re, in a relationship. So you got to go all the way back and get Genesis right, Genesis chapters one, two, and three, yeah. and even the fall. They do not believe that man has a sin nature. Oh, so it's a completely different way of thinking. When they commit a bad sin, all they have to do is do a good deed. One of the pillars.
0: Got it. And yeah.
1: It, and it's like a it's like a balance. It's like a scale where there's good deeds and bad deeds. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us we are sinners and we need a savior.
0: We don't need to do good deeds. So you really have to almost start way back in Genesis and go from there. Yeah, that's good. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break because I think this is going to transition us toward what I wanted to talk about next. Hey, Engaging Missions listeners, this is Jim Baker from Episode 119. Thank you so much for being a faithful listener to this show. Brian has been a huge encouragement to me personally and to my podcast, Doing Ministry Well. After a long hiatus, we finally have some new episodes up, and we'd love it if you check it out over at doingministrywell.com. All right, we're back with Mark Brink. We've been hearing a little bit about some of the stuff that kind of went into his formation and his experience in Pakistan. But Mark is also the leader of an organization or the leader of a ministry through the Assemblies of God. And he's got something going on with that that I really want us to key in on. So, Mark, would you mind sharing with us what it is that you're doing? Sure. You know, we believe at our ministry that Muslims are approachable,
1: they are lovable, and they are valuable to God. And those are kind of three key principles to us. And because of that, we want to see the church equipped uh, to reach Muslims. Okay. Here in the United States, and mostly what our ministry does is overseas, helping churches, helping Christians to understand Muslims, uh, understand Islam better, so that now they can go out and they can start engaging them with a witness of the gospel. And so we do that in some 40 countries of the world. We send our team of teachers around. And do training, so it's really exciting to see what God is doing in the Muslim world. Uh, I, I think probably in these days right now there are more Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ than ever before, and that is so exciting. I think number one, the first reason why they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ is there's prayer movements. Yeah, I think since the seventies and eighties, there's been a big focus. They've seen the Muslim world that has been neglected, and prayer focuses have been started by many different agencies and denominations. And so I think some of the fruit that we're starting to see is because of that prayer emphasis, focusing specifically on Muslim peoples and on Muslim countries.
0: Yeah. And so what you and the team do, if I remember right, is you go in and you provide training for local leaders in evangelism, discipleship, that kind of thing. Is that am I remembering that right? That's correct. Yeah. And and it couldn't be all different
1: levels of training. Okay. It could be where it's lay people in the church and they come in and let's say for two to four days, sometimes up to five days they come in and from like nine in the morning until four in the afternoon we do in depth training to them understand Muslims, understand their theology, and then find ways, practical approaches that they can start reaching out with the love of Christ in their workplace or ministries that can be started out of their churches to start to ministry. them. So it can be in a seminar like okay. that, or it can actually be in a Bible school setting where we go in and they, for credit, a bachelor's or a master's level, we train them and it's actually for people that feel a burden and a call to to reach Muslims in their own community or in their own country. Or some of them might even be going as missionaries mm-hmm. from their country to another country. So we're seeing this phenomenon happening all around the world. Brian, we're sitting here in America. Right. But there's there's countries and churches around the world that are, the church has grown so much that they're be starting to be a strong mission sending force also. So it's not just Western missionaries out there. It's African missionaries. It's Latino missionaries. It's Asian missionaries that are sending workers out around the world. Now, it's exciting. It's exciting to see what God is doing.
0: Yeah, I remember I was talking to somebody a couple of years ago, and he mentioned that at that time, Central and South America was becoming one of the largest missionary sending regions, at least in his estimation. And it was really surprising to me that some of them were being sent here. And at that moment, at that moment it clicked in my head and I was like, wait a minute, global missions is global missions. That means from everywhere to everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting for me to hear about you talking about people from Asia, from the Middle East, from Africa, from South and Central America, potentially, because I think you even mentioned some places around there that you've done some seminars. They're going all over the place, and sometimes to places where Westerners can't even necessarily get in, or if they could, it wouldn't be safe. How are you able to partner with these groups and and get the right people to the places at the right time?
1: You know, it's really the Lord, and it's really the, the local churches catching a burden and a vision. We can't go in there and create what the burden that they would actually call us up or be right. in contact with us to actually come. God it is burdening them. I'll just give one example, and yeah. I won't name locations. Thank you. But I'll just share China. Okay. You know, we don't tend to think of China as having lots of Muslims, but there are somewhere between 40 to 60 million Muslims in Western China. Okay. And many times it's really hard. Even Even recently, I just got a phone call from someone as I was traveling in here to Atlanta saying, you know, boy, our workers are really having a challenge getting out there to Western China. But now the Chinese church is getting a burden. And we've heard in decades past about the back to Jerusalem movement, which kind of has this strategy of taking the gospel back along the Silk Road towards okay. Jerusalem. But the first step in that mission is to reach the Muslims in Western China. So now they're getting a burden, and we're going in to a city on the, on the uh, border of Western China, and we're training Han Chinese Christians to be the workers to go to, I guess you would call it domestic missions. Yeah. What they're doing right in their own country. And this is exciting. Yeah. I mean, and we're raising them up because it's so difficult for Westerners to get a visa to go there
0: yeah and so when when these people come in, I'm assuming that some travel in some distance, some maybe live in the city where you're going. You go in for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, however long the training is, and then they go back out. What does it look like when they go back out? What do they do? What's changed in their lives well the
1: the The church that we were working with there in in China they have two strategies: they have what they call full time missionaries and part time missionaries okay so there'll be people that will be fully supported by them, and they'll mm-hmm. go out and, and go into those Muslim areas and start ministries and start spreading the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. And that can look like lots of different things. I know one of the ministries was uh, sports evangelism. Okay, So they went out there, and they started making connections in the community and with the young people through sports. Another uh, part of that was also vocational training. I know one, they actually started a business. Oh, cool. They went in, and of all things, they started an ice cream business and were starting set-up shops, and that was their business where they were making income to live there, but they were also having a presence in the community and starting to reach out. So they'll have full-time missionaries, and then they will also have what they call part-time missionaries. And they'll send them out for like six months, and then they'll come back in for more training, and then they'll go back out for six months. And during those six months back home, they raise money. They they work a job. They raise enough money to go back out right. for another six months. A little bit different strategy than what we have in the West, but they, they're doing the work of the Lord. Right. What fits into their their context. So very exciting. Yeah. And some of these areas out in Western China, Brian, they're pretty unreached. Okay. I, we know amongst this one people group that that numbers somewhere around 15 to 20 million, we only know of like 250 to 500 believers amongst yeah. them. So, I mean, very needy people.
0: And and in that kind of situation, I think that going out and sowing into that can feel a lot like trying to break up fallow ground and trying to prepare things and maybe could feel like there are years potentially of sowing into this before you start to see a harvest. How... what? there's really kind of two prongs to my question, first off, without being too success oriented what kind of results or what kinds of things do you see come out of this, and second how do how do the people the local people keep going when it gets discouraging?
1: I would have to say we have to see the long term perspective on all of this brian yeah god hasn 't called us to numbers he 's called us to be a faithful witness, right all that to say, there is fruit coming, we kind of we kind of illustrate it this way in our ministry. It's like we see this wall here, right? There's a wall sitting here right beside us as we're doing this. And there's bricks in it. And it took many bricks to build that wall. And so sometimes you might be putting a brick in the wall. (laughs) You're not getting to see the whole thing completed. But then there might be sometimes you get to put the last brick in and you do get to reap. So there's all different stages that those Muslims might be in that you're actually witnessing too so you got to see it in that perspective yeah it's a little bit different uh, than than here in the west
0: well yeah and i think also here in the west we have such a completion oriented or a, a goal oriented society where we honor the person who gets something done or we honor really the person in front that seems to get something done when there could be an entire team of people not only supporting them but maybe doing all the work that went up to to lead to that and so i think that sometimes we have a wrong perspective about the you know sowing and reaping and what actually goes into building the kingdom
1: in my experience uh in ministry to muslims it's usually a process of time yeah that a muslim comes to christ i haven't it, i i don't want to say never because it can happen but in my experience i've never walked up to a muslim that i've had I don't have a relationship and share the gospel one time and pray with him to receive Christ. Because he really needs to think about, he knows his culture. He knows the environment that he's in. And he knows the cost that it will be for him to come to Christ in the name, the name of Christ. And sometimes it takes time for them to work through this. It's a process of them getting past many of the theological hurdles of who they think God is compared to the God of the Bible. Yeah. So it takes time for yeah. them to process that.
0: Th- that reminded me of something that you shared yesterday, and I'd like for you to kind of share a little bit about that for our listeners today, because I remember you shared that when or when you're sharing the gospel with people, you're not looking for a quick conversion. You're actually looking for people to count the cost. Can you share a little bit more about that? Well,
1: some you know here again, yeah. the bricks and the walls. You might be the last brick, and it, that person yeah. might be prepared. He might be ready, and as you come to them, he might be ready cuz i've had muslims come to me and they want a bible they're ready to receive a bible they're ready to look at the claims of christ and make a decision but then there's other ones that are not at that place they're just at the beginning so god god has them all at different stages you know in yeah. in in their in their search for truth when i pray for muslims i always say lord lead me lead me to the person that is seeking for truth that you have started to prepare for me to walk up to him. And I really believe that the Lord is doing that. Yeah. I have to believe that. As a worker of the gospel, we know that the Holy Spirit is working before we ever got there. Yeah. It wasn't just because I walked up that one time. The Holy Spirit is preparing the circumstances of that person's heart and his life to bring him to that place where he he sees a need for a Savior. Yeah. So... We can't compare one to the—I know we like to do that. We like oh, to put absolutely. all people in, yeah. in the same basket. We can't do that. Even here in America, we can't do that in our witness with the typical American. They're all at different places and, and in, their, in their search for truth, I guess you would say.
0: Yeah, that, that reminds me—a lot of times when I'm praying for people, my prayer is just move them closer to you. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know for everybody in my life what closer to him means, right? I don't know where all of them actually are, which could be an indictment to me, or it could just be that we haven't gotten to that place in our relationship. But, yeah, I, I totally get that.
1: There was a survey that was done of Muslim converts, and they looked at you know what were the factors that led to you becoming a Christian. How did you get to that point where you saw the need of a Savior? and there were some key things that happened these came back these these key components number 1 there was a christian that befriended them that's that's a key we need to go out there and and make friends even in our culture here in here in america there's people that are are thirsty and they want a true genuine friendship there's in our in our era of all the social media that we have there's still people out there that they're so connected on their phones and on their ipads but they're really not connected on a heart level with a person right and if we can build that friendship same thing with muslims we need to build the friendship secondly was the word of god i always share and when i'm with christians even if it's just a just a few minutes with them about how to minister to muslims i say get them the word of god in my experience with Muslims, it's always been a Muslim taking the Quran on one side, putting it down beside the Bible, and they start to compare them. Because Muslims have been told that the Bible tells about the coming of Muhammad. Okay. And so when they start reading the Quran, the Bible and they start saying, well, there's no place in here that it says that. They've been told myths about the Bible. Right. But when they start to read it, they start to compare it. Whoa, that, that's not there, what I've been always been taught. And then they read the, the uh, Gospels, and they read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. Well, they've been told that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Yeah. And then the great thing, Brian, is the Holy Spirit starts to work. Once you give the Word of God to someone, the Word of God gets in their heart. Yeah. They start reading it, then the Holy Spirit starts using it. Then they start asking questions, and then the Lord starts doing miracles. He'll give them a dream they will start working. So friendship, the scriptures, and then miracles start to happen. Right. Something supernatural, a, a healing, or a vision or a dream. Something starts to happen, and they start to say, wow, this God is powerful. This Jesus is powerful. He does speak to me, which is so different than Allah. And then Muslims are disillusioned. There's a disillusionment in the Muslim community about Islam. There's moderate Muslims out there that they see all this violence. They see the rise of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And they go, is this true Islam? If this is real Islam, I, they start to question it. The younger generation spe- uh, especially yeah. starts to question this. And then lastly was they started to see God as a loving heavenly father, mm. which they don't have in Islam. And that's what every person wants. Yeah, They want someone that will love them. And those are some keys as you start thinking about praying for Muslims and engaging Muslims.
0: Wow. If you could maybe recommend one book or resource for our listeners, what would you recommend? I'd, here's a couple ones that yeah.
1: you can find readily in the in the market. One of the persons that trains for us, his name is Don McCurry. Okay. He has a book called Healing the Broken Family of Abraham. And that's a wonderful book that will give you kind of an overview of Muslim people, some of their beliefs, and then also some practical approaches uh, about how to reach them. And then the next one is a very popular book right now that you'll find all over. You can get it on Kindle or buy a paper copy. Is "Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus"? Okay, yeah, I've heard of that one. "Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus," which is the story of Nabil Qureshi.
0: Okay, yeah, that, that's good. Now, if, if somebody is listening to this and they wanted to connect with you, is there a good way for them to do that? They can go to our website. Okay.
1: It's Uh,
0: www.reachingmuslimpeoples.com. Okay. Yeah, and we'll make sure that we have all of that linked up in the show notes. So if you're driving to work or something right now, don't try and text it to yourself. (laughs) We'll we'll make sure that that's available. Now, if you could maybe just challenge us with one thing that we could do over the next week or two that would move us closer or help us better engage with Muslims in the world, what would that be?
1: I, I still will go back to the standard reason why Muslims are coming to faith in Christ is prayer. Start praying for Muslims and you will be so surprised, Brian, you're going to start seeing the Muslims in your community where you've been driving by them all the time or walking past them and you don't really observe them when you, you know, it's hard to dislike somebody that you pray for. Yeah. And the Lord will start bringing them to your path. And then the next thing is I would just encourage them if they see Muslims in their community, in their workplace, just start a conversation with them. Muslims do like this, speak about spiritual things and share about their religion you know, people love to talk about themselves <laughs> Yeah, and just start a conversation with the Muslims. And say, wow, you know, hey, are you a Muslim? And then just ask them, well, what is Islam all about? And as they start sharing, then God's going to open up the door for you to share about your faith in Jesus Christ. He'll definitely open that door and you can start maybe a misconception that they have about Christianity. You're going to, it's going to open the door for you just to share the gospel with them. And then the Holy Spirit will start to work. Wow,
0: that's good. Just start
1: loving Muslims. Just start loving them in your community. Yeah, We have one whole component of our ministry called Say Hello, Serving Muslim Women. And it's just about walking up to Muslim women and saying hi and starting a conversation. And then from there, you build a relationship and it'll open the doors to share the gospel.
0: That's great. Mark, this has been wonderful. I so appreciate you taking the time to do this. I forgot to mention this before. Show notes will be available at engagingmissions.com slash Mark Brink. So check those out. Make sure that you connect with him. Thanks so much for being with us. It's great to be here. Thanks, Brian. All right. So you've heard from Mark Brink, and I've been talking about this for a few weeks, but some of you might not have realized that this was coming. And I want to take this time to talk a little bit about the opportunity for you to join me in helping fund what's going on in Global Initiative. And I thought to do that, I might just answer a few questions, some things that were kind of rattling around in my head that I thought you might be interested in hearing. The first question is, why would I want to do this? I've got this podcast, I've got some stuff going on, but why would I want to raise some funds? And there are a few reasons for this. The first one is is I've been doing this show for almost three years now. And I I do fund some missionaries a little bit, but I feel like it's really time to start putting where my money, where my mouth is. And so this is one of the ways that I could do that. And also hopefully expand what we're able to do beyond just me. Another one was I wanted to provide a way for, or to help provide a way for us to come together and to celebrate what God is able to do among and through us. I also wanted to provide a way for us to begin passing on our passion for God's mission on the earth to those around us and to the next generation, and also to build a little bit of unity. And all of those are parts of the reason why I was interested in being involved with this, with uh, both BGMC and Global Initiative. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that does lead me to the second question. So why this opportunity? I've had 172 now episodes on the show, over 150 guests. There are a lot of options. And this is actually the first time Mark has been on the show. So that leads the question, why this one? Well, the first one is... The very foundation of this show, how I've always met or almost always met new guests is through people that I know. And my brother introduced me to Mark. And so my brother's recommendation, because of who he is and who he's been in my life, that carries a lot of weight. I was also interested because there are a lot of us and a lot of us in in our community come from different backgrounds, different places. And a lot of us maybe know an individual missionary, but I felt like maybe it would be easier for us to rally around a global organization, something with, or someone that's connected to a name that people know so that there's a little bit of connection there. And as I mentioned before, Mark is aligned with the Assemblies of God. And I'll talk a little bit more about that because I realize not all of us are connected to the Assemblies of God. I was actually raised in the Assemblies of God Church, but I'm now part of a non-denominational church. So there's a connection there for me, but there might not be for you. I was also interested in making sure that I was connecting with a group that's financially responsible. And I talked with my brother at length about this because I've heard some stories of big amounts of overhead. Now, of course, what you consider a large amount of overhead is gonna vary a little bit by organization, but Mark and I talked, that's Mark, my brother, and he said that for the money that's given through BGMC, which is how we're raising these funds, 84 to 85% of that goes directly to what's going on. The remainder goes to overheads. Now, different organizations have a little bit different structure as far as what's considered overheads, what's considered ministry expenses. I get all of that, but that that was the conversation that he and I had is that they're always trying to find ways to make sure that they're keeping their costs low so that they can continue to reinvest and so that they can be responsible with the money. So, we're talking 84 to 85% I was also really interested because... Global initiative and what they're doing, they're working across denominational lines. And that's a big part of my heart because I want to see the the global body of Christ connected and walking in unity. And when Mark Brink started talking in some of our meetings about the ways that they're working with uh, Baptists and with Presbyterians and Methodists and Episcopals and different denominations and even non denominational groups all around the globe, my heart just lit up because I'm looking at that and I'm going, This is a way that we can invest in building that unity because as we give, even though we're giving to a particular organization, they're using that and they're working with local groups. They're working with groups from other countries. They're trying to make sure that they always have the right people going to the right place at the right time and across those denominational and geographic lines. So I was really excited about that. I was also interested because If we think about giving and some of the overheads that go into that, what they're doing is providing resources and training for the local body. So they're sending a person or a group with some materials over to do training. They're equipping the local body. They, they get in, they provide that, and then they come back out. It, we're not committing to support somebody to be there long term, although there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But because they're equipping the church that's already there, people that already have jobs, people that already have vocations, and they know the culture and they're connected, they're able to take what's provided and they're able to do more with it at lower cost. And so what we're doing actually continues to provide long after the funds that we've given are depleted because of the way they're investing. So I thought that was great. And I also love the way that they're doing their very best to allow God to move through the local church because they're equipping them and then they're moving sort of backing out, they're not leaving them there to to die, but they're kind of backing out and allowing the local church to stand on its own. Then the local church has that opportunity. So I, I was really happy about that. Now I, I've, I also sent out some questions uh, to people that are on my email li- list. That would be at engagingmissions.com slash newsletter. And some of some people that were connected uh, had some additional questions. And I just want to take a minute to address some of those. Some of them I've already touched on, but some of them I wanted to connect to. So one question, and this was just something that was in my mind, how much of this money that we're giving or committing to give goes to en- engaging missions? And the answer to that is absolutely none of it. The way this is set up, none of this money ever touches my hands or touches my accounts. Every bit of what you give or commit to give will go through the assemblies of God to the specific ministries that we're talking about. The next question, how much of it goes to overheads? Now, I talked a little bit about this one. And frankly, sometimes this can get a little bit tricky because different groups talk about overheads differently. Different groups talk about things differently. And also, we're not giving to a charity thing. We're not giving to a specific need if we were going to provide shoes or something like that. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is providing resources and training and travel for the people that are going to do that. What organization are they with? As I mentioned, no surprise here. We're working with and through the assemblies of God. I understand that, you know what, you you might have some history there, and that might be a a good history. That might not be a good history. And I I want to be sensitive to that. You know, if you're not comfortable with that, that's your call. That's between you and God. If you are, I'm I'm glad to be able to provide this. uh, and, And, you know, The next time we come around for a fundraising opportunity, maybe we'll be working with another organization. I don't know the answer to that. Are these donations tax deductible? At least in the U.S. they are because the Assemblies of God is a charitable organization. Donations given there are tax deductible. If you're in another country, I can't answer that because I don't know. How much are you trying to raise? This was something that somebody asked very specifically, and I'm not ready to answer that for you yet because I want for you to hear from God first. I want you to purpose in your heart what you would commit to give, what you believe God would have you give, and then I'll share that amount that I've that I'm believing God for. Scripture says that we should give as we've decided in our own heart, not under compulsion or anything like that. And so I want to make sure that I provide you the opportunity to do that. Now I do have a number; it's already written down. I have a number that we're committing to as a family, and I also have a number that I th- I'm believing God for through the show. And my hope and my prayer is that when we're all done, my faith will have been proven small because God is able to provide so much more than I ever had the faith to believe for. So that's that's my hope. I'm also hoping and believing that what we invest and what we do will invest in further generations far beyond anything that we could ever imagine or comprehend. So that's kind of where my head is on that. I would ask you that if you haven't already, please take at least a couple days to pray about this and to hear from God about if and how much He would have you be involved in this. If God's speaking to you already and you already know that answer, that's great. I'll have a link for you just in just a few seconds that you can... that you can firm up that commitment and let me know. I would ask that you let me know if you're committing to give so that I can make sure that any resources that we make available will be available to you because I don't want to send them to people that aren't interested. I want to make sure that I'm sending them to the people that are interested. And also, I'd like to just, for my own my own sake, have an idea of what we have committed to give so that I can make sure that we've communicated that and so that we're keeping that in front of ourselves. If you do know how much you want to give or you want to know a little bit more about this project, go to engagingmissions.com slash fund 16. That's F-U-N-D and the number 16. That'll have uh, some more information about this as well as a link to a form that you can use to share how much you're going to give or how much you're committing to give, whether that's monthly or annual or a one time, something like that. Um, Also, if you're going to ask for some additional resources to keep at home, perhaps for kids, for a Sunday school class, for something like that, I'll be asking for an address so that I can send that to you. That'll be at no charge to you. That's just something that I want to make available. And then expect to hear some updates about how it's going. My hope and my prayer is that we will absolutely blow the number that I have in my head out of the water, but I want for you to hear from God. If you have any questions or anything, please send those to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Any way you slice it, I'd love to hear from you, and I am absolutely believing that you can hear from God about how much you should and could commit to this. Thanks to Mark Brink for being with us and also to you for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash markbrink. That's where you'll find links, quotes, and resources to help you engage. Make sure that you come back next week when we'll be hearing from Tom Clark. We're going to talk about time management and raising up leaders. Make sure you don't miss that by subscribing to the show. You can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And please help us understand how we can improve the show and serve you better. Send an email with your suggestions or your comments to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for listening to the
1: Engaging Missions show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by
0: visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.